What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Kahn, is The Ringer's latest narrative podcast. Episodes one and two launch on June 9th, and you can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman Series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out. Pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed the rewatchables this week, we did Memento. We're doing a classic on Monday. We actually got back together in the old studio. Me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy. In person, we did the next rewatchables, which is coming on Monday. I'll tell you what it is. Now, what the hell? Raiders of the Lost Ark. You might've heard of it. One of the greatest movies of all time. It's the 40 year anniversary next week. So we jumped in. It is on Paramount, by the way, if you have uh, Paramount Plus. So you can watch it over the weekend when you're not watching sports. I popped on a couple podcasts this week. On Wednesday, all hell broke loose with the Celtics. So if you're expecting to hear my Celtics thoughts on this podcast, you don't need to listen to them on this one. We already did it. Ryan Rosillo's pod, uh, late Wednesday morning Pacific time. We had it up. Me, Ryan Rosillo, Kevin O'Connor, Jackie McMullen. We broke the whole thing down. And I honestly think we covered everything. I thought I'd have a moment where maybe I dove in a little bit more when we had new information or whatever. But there really, it really was what it was. Danny retired. Brad Stevens took over. He's not going to be the coach anymore. They're going to look for a coach and we'll see how it goes. But uh, we've been talking on this podcast for a couple months now that I did not think that they were going to be running it back with all of the same people. They had, uh, you know, same owner, same front office, same coach for the last eight years. They had the same owner, same front office since basically 2004. And at some point, you know, you need a change. And I think everybody probably sensed that. So uh, we talked all the ramifications, all theories, everything on that podcast. So if you want to hear me talk Celtics, go there. And then on New York, New York with John Jastrzemski, 
he asked me and uh, my buddy Jacko, who's been on this podcast only a million times, to uh, talk Red Sox Yankees heading into. I can't call it a big series because it's really not. Neither team's in first place. The Yankees are pretty awful, um, pretty forgettable. They're a little over 500. Jacko hates watching them. So does JJ. They complain the whole time. I was like a pig and shit. So that's going up tonight. So I abbreviated this podcast. I've been doing, uh, you know, we, we've just done a lot of audio the last few days. So we're going to keep this short and sweet. Sirit Sohi and Kyle Mann from The Ringer are going to pop on. We are taping this after, I repeat, after the two games tonight. Nuggets. Blazers, Lakers, Suns. Let's bring in Pearl Jam. Let's get going. I'm ready to talk some hoops. All right, we were taping this. It is 10.25 Pacific time. I'm glad we waited. The Lakers are done. They're out. They're finished. So are the Blazers. The West has fallen into place. I'm going to start here. Um, Kyle, it's a new generation. I feel a video coming for you. You know, this happens sometimes. I remember this happened with the Pierce, T-Mac, um, Vince Carter, Iverson. All of a sudden, those guys were deep in the playoffs. It's like, oh, wow, this is happening. You know, 2000, 2001 range. Luca, Booker, Jokic, Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Giannis, Trey, even Michael Porter Jr. This is a new wave of dudes that are coming in. Is this a sea change week for you, Kyle? It is. And I was thinking just a minute ago, I was like, it's a pretty familiar theme for me personally right now that a theme of this playoffs has been, can the guy in his mid-30s not break down and continue to play basketball? That's been kind of my struggle <laughs> lately. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been pretty, it's pretty... It's been pretty incredible to watch these guys answer the bell. I mean, like Trey has been sort of picked on, not that we want to like launch into that whole thing, but I mean, Trey's been kind of picked on and criticized over time. And then he's just been masterful in the way he's navigated the, uh, you know, the, the Knicks are, it, the challenges are going to continue to go. But I, I, I was really impressed by the fact that, uh, you know, Porter, we were kind of texting about, you know, Porter was really going. He has a tendency to kind of, maybe overdo it a little bit and continue to hunt his shot, maybe being able to make bad choices. I was impressed by the restraint, even Booker in this game tonight. Like mm. he was really going, he had the chance to, you know, Kobe's one of his heroes, one of his idols. Interesting that he did this in Staples tonight, but uh, he even showed some self-control and not forcing it whenever, uh, whenever the Lakers started to throw some different looks at him as the game went on. Yeah. There's, there's a sense of belonging. Sarah, welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, you joined Thank the ringer, you. I it's think, two weeks here. ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess before we get to the Lakers and just what the hell happened with them, like, I was shocked, A, by how great Booker was tonight, but then B, like what Kyle said, that there there was like this kind of eerie confidence to him. Like, he belonged. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm chest pumping. I'm bang. I'm pointing to the crowd. It was just kind of like it... I felt like they thought they were really going to win this game convincingly, and then they just went out and did it. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly who Booker is. Um, I'm actually really happy for him that he's having this moment finally because he's always had like that it factor, right? Uh, I think the superstar cosine is a really big thing. The fact that LeBron called him underrated this year. Chris Paul says, "Hey, I want to 
go play with this guy. Like, I like this guy. He's always gotten it. Um, I think he used to get it from Kobe, too. And I think, like, there is something to that. Like, those guys can see when a younger guy has that thing. And he's always had incredible touch. He's always worked really hard. He's super skilled now. He's always been pretty skilled, but, like, it's all just coalescing. And, like, he's un- he's been un- unguardable two days in a row. Yeah. And probably, I honestly, like, a little bit bold here, but I think probably would have figured out some stuff against Anthony Davis as well. Was starting to. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because when we did, when I did those six podcasts with KD over the span of a year, I think and even the first one I asked him, is there a young player that jumps out to you that you think has it? And he said Booker. And Booker, I think, had been in the league for two years at that point. But he's like, there's, that kid's got, got something. And you could see it tonight. There was a Chris Paul playoff collapse kind of looming for a split second there where it was like all of a sudden the Lakers were down 11. They had the ball in the corner. I think Wesley Matthews took a terrible three. Um, but uh, it just it just seemed like it was Booker's night. I think the thing that was interesting about his game tonight versus some other ones is he actually was taking a lot of threes and making them. I, I think what makes him unique in this era is He's not like a volume three-point shooter. Kyle, have you done a video? You've done a video on him, right? I can't remember. Not him specifically. I mean, I've talked about him numerous times. Yeah, um, but you but... haven't broken down. Like, he's got this weird old school, mostly two points and drives. But tonight, oh, yeah. when he's hitting the three, he's he's completely unstoppable if he's hitting threes like that. Oh, yeah. He's got that old school, I, I call them slot scores. I mean, like those those wings in the 90s who would just set up shot shop like to the right or the left elbow and just kind of like work in that area he has he had that game early on I mean he he has a lot of that like shoulder fake stuff that he absolutely did not show at Kentucky at all we don't have to go into that but I mean or at least he did he didn't get the chance to but he uh yeah I mean just the shot creation stuff um is it's always just been there and he and he has that just kind of unflappability uh yeah. to him like and I, I think that, uh, that that's something that a lot of the other players really respect about him is that I was cracking up about the fact that he just was repeatedly going at Mark Gasol like throughout this series. Like one thing, I, it annoys me sometimes when I go on to watch a game, if I want to watch it like on my tablet or something and I get like the TNT overtime camera angles, like I can't watch it. But for like specifically for like chippy back and forth stuff. Those mm-hmm. angles are great. So if I see something brewing between players, I'll go on there and just kind of watch and see if you can see little interactions. He's just tough. I, I think that I think that's something. Uh, I think that's something that players respect about him. Wait, have you have you caught some, you know, just blowback? Like, what do you see? Oh well, I mean, he, he him and uh, Gasol were just like chirping. I, I really, really noticed it a couple games ago. It was happening tonight. Uh, he was just attacking Gasol relentlessly, fearlessly. And, and you know, we were talking about this with AD. I th- I'm sure you'll want to talk more about this because it's a big story from this game. But, like, uh, he went at AD mercilessly, immediately in this game, confidently, and it worked. So, Yeah, he did the – he went after AD like AD was the old guy in the pickup game. And I was – I really thought it was brilliant because normally when these guys are hurt or they're playing hurt, you don't know how hurt they are the other team will let them off the hook and let them kind of drift around for a quarter before they realize like, Oh, maybe we should go with this guy. The Suns immediately were like, there's blood in the water. <laughs> Let's go after him. And basically blew him out of the game in three minutes. What were you expecting, sir? Were you expecting anything from him tonight? Cause I, I wanted to bet the Suns 
And I was so scared of the, I just couldn't get a read on the Davis thing. There were the tweets beforehand. Shams had a tweet about he's, he's going to play. He's good. And within three minutes, it was over. Yeah, this actually kind of ended up being a worst case scenario for the Lakers because they prepared, I think, at least one would think, thinking that they would have Davis and then weren't really ready for a game without him. Yeah. And then it just, I think you, I think you could have just replay, like hit the play button from game five after Davis was out. Like it looked like that exact game for at least a quarter, maybe, maybe until, maybe until the third quarter, really. And like you could just tell they didn't have a plan. Like you had LeBron trying to get post ups. If you watch game five, like all of all of the times that he really tried to post up there, they made it really tough for him. I think you need to point LeBron. They kind of got into it later, but then they just couldn't hit shots. But like they just yeah, it just sucks because if you think you're gonna have him, I guess you're not gonna go in that direction. But I just think overall this series, like Vogel was really, really slow to make adjustments and that really ended up biting them. Yeah, I'm not sure why they thought they were getting like thirty five minutes from Davis tonight with that specific injury and I, who knows what the doctors were telling stuff like that. But um, the thing that struck me once the game started playing out the way it did, I've never seen LeBron look more tired in a game. And this was the first time. And you know, when he's, when he's got his, you know, a hop to a step and the whole thing early in the game, he can have stretches where he turns it on. There's three different times during this game when he just asked out as the game was going on when he just like stopped walking. And just kind of turn toward his bench and you, you're really feeling this guy's been in the league for 18 years. Next year is going to be year 19. He's played, you know, I, I, I don't even know what the total of regular season plus playoff games is, but you could feel it tonight because I think a couple of years ago, like 2018, LeBron could have put this team on his back and oh, made yeah. something work. It's not like this lineup was any better or worse than the 2018 Cavs. I don't think physically I he disagree. could do that. You know, who, I disagree. Who do you think was worse? Com- well, they just they just made more way more sense for him. Like the you, you, LeBron had no space in this game at all. He hasn't had space basically since Katie since AD's been out. Yeah, like that. Those LeBron teams, like for all of the the follies that they had, at the end of the day, like you could at least trust guys like Corver or George Hill to to make shots and actually like actually make it a really tough decision about what you're going to do with him. Like the Lakers have kind of managed to pull off something that's very difficult to pull off with LeBron and that like making the decision for the defense easy, which it shouldn't be easy any in any playoff series mm. anymore. Like offenses have just really figured defenses out. And I think this was a series where like, like if I'm Monty Williams, I didn't really, this as soon as AD got hurt, like the Suns just kind of had to watch and wait for it to happen. They didn't really need to make any adjustments at all. And you know, if, if you're the Lakers, like you kind of figure some stuff out with with some of the shooting later on, but there just aren't those reliable guys. Like it's just an easy call every single time. We're gonna crowd in on LeBron if it's gonna be Caruso or Schroeder or this version of KCP or like you know you can Mark Gasol can shoot, but he just doesn't shoot enough. Or you're gonna play mm. Drummond or, and then I guess you know decide to go from play like really really playing him to to benching him completely, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I just I think those teams made so much more sense. For him, like there was just no way that he was going to get off to a start like this. Um, you could kind of see it in the first quarter, like when they weren't making shots. I kind of felt like LeBron was like, "Okay, all right, if they're not making shots, we're not going to go." <laughs> yeah, I think it's sort of a cyclical thing. One feeds the other. I mean, like if LeBron doesn't have that, you know, you were talking about 2018, the thing that he could just get to the rim at will and finish through anyone at any time. And in this series. 
I was making the point that like even a year ago, he was slower, but he was still like powering through people, like getting all the way to the basket and like decelerating and you just couldn't do anything with him. I think that that affected the way people were playing the gaps and like helping him because he wasn't as explosive. Uh, You didn't have to to, like dedicate and like really hard double him as frequently. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if he had had that element to his game, I think that that would have helped the shooting. Uh, and I mean, I, I think that that helped those Cleveland things too. And on AD, I was thinking back about like the thing that really just, you can't overstate this enough. I mean, just him not being there defensively. Um, people always think about rim protection as like literally blocking shots, but it's it's a lot more than that. Like there's a huge radius bubble over the paint and AD's reach and his ability to like laterally shuffle and flip his hips really fast. That's his superpower. So when he has a groin strain and he can't shuffle his feet, he can't get off his feet quickly. Uh, he's he's not the same player. And and that really affected what... And then, you know, you were talking about Gasol having to sit down. It was really nice to see him run some of those, like, you know, those really nicely placed over-the-top touch passes, things like that. But on the other end, the Suns were just attacking his foot speed, which has declined a ton in the past two years. Um, there was just a lot of uh, pick-your-poison, and uh, the Lakers ended up getting poisoned because there was just too much poison, ultimately. Uh, not to be corny and, like, talk radio about it, but... Uh, yeah, it just became overwhelming, and you could kind of see LeBron give up at some point. He was just like, "I can't do this anymore." Yeah, sometimes he gets that look on his face, like he's he's the, he's got that supercomputer in his head, and he's like pressing these formulas, waiting for the result to come out, and they're just the results aren't coming out, and he's just like, you can see his brain like breaking. It's like, I, 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 and he's just looking around, and he can't solve it. I I have a hot take. I think this Davis thing was actually good for this Lakers team from the sense of now they have an excuse they can hold on to. I think they lose anyway. I thought they didn't have enough time together as a group. As Sirit said, like the team didn't totally make sense. And you had these situations where it's like Schroeder's out there. He's playing for a new contract. He was going rogue a lot. He was going rogue during the season. He was going rogue in this series. And there was a couple of times you could kind of see LeBron, like just kind of go, what the fuck with this guy? Um, the Gasol Drummond, um, Harold thing was just a quagmire. They never figured it out. It seemed like they must have made some promise to Drummond that he got to start. You know, if we sign you, you'll start for us. And then by this game, they just abandoned it by the second half. And then the the swing guys, like none of those guys came through. The Kuzma thing, Kuzma was just aggressively horrific tonight. And um, that was a the guy they really banked on. They just never had that other guy. Sarah, was this a championship roster to you with a healthy Davis? You know, it's funny that you bring up Kuzma um, because he's a guy that I think actually could have made some wholesale changes this season if they had used his used him a little bit more and actually just invested in him a little bit more. It feels like they came into the season thinking like Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be the guy like, mm. you know, w- wingspan king just, you know, it, it, and like I like t- Taylor Horton Tucker and he probably can eventually be that guy. But coming into this preseason, I just remember thinking like, man, like. Kuzma's really moving his feet. And then I heard, like, I heard, you know, that he was training with Draymond, that he'd really, like, been focusing on on trying to, you know, figure it out on the defensive end. And I think he just came into the season being like, well, no one really cares if I do or don't do anything. It didn't really feel like it actually made that much of a difference in terms of his rotation minutes, like whether he did do the right thing or not. And then I think not featuring him 
in anything doesn't really make a lot of sense either just because like he's a microwave guy like you can get him going sometimes if you use him i understand that like we're, yeah you know you can be kind of anti stuff like that just because it's not that reliable lo- in, in the long term but like that can win you a game like they needed somebody to step up this game like he was horrible but i also just don't think like he's had any consistency for the last two years it's like i had like a very interesting run where i think he was like really overrated at first because he's overused and now you think he's underrated because he's completely underused i think like they could have gotten more out of out of him they leaned on schroeder a little bit too much and i think they really miss rondo mm. like they really really miss rondo especially as soon as ad went out like they needed a setup guy for lebron especially in the post like he probably could have he probably could have bullied those guys a little bit more like i don't think mikhail bridges who like just has to be feeling by the way on top of the world after doing this to lebron after everyone just told him he was too skinny forever um right. but i think yeah like it just i think he could have helped out they just didn't have enough playmaking. Like, you can't have LeBron make the plays for himself. Like, that was essentially kind of what happened in this series. I think Crowder is probably the single most excited guy because LeBron, they traded for him in the 17-18 season and LeBron had no use for him from the get-go and ended up, he got traded, I think, again, three months later. And you could tell that it was not very friendly between these guys. I Crowder got thrown out and I actually rewound it to see what happened because it seemed like it was like a Booker... Crowder, Marcus Morris, trash talk thing. But if you go back and watch it, I'm sure it'll it'll be online by the time we're done with this pod. Crowder was doing some sort of dance thing (laughs) under the basket. He was doing this taunt dance and the ref was like, you're out. And Crowder just sprinted off. That was what that whole sequence was because he was fucking with the Lakers because I think think he was still mad about that game three thing when LeBron posted him up. And the whole bench was standing and mimicking LeBron moves and all that. That seems like it was a hundred years ago. It was three games ago, but um, the Lakers were just so overconfident and it was like watching the bully get punched, you know? Yeah. What do you think happened to LeBron in the course of like two games, honestly? I think he realized he slowly was doing the calculus. Yeah. That's what it seems like. I mean, I was really impressed with that official that he didn't crack I, I've never seen a star do that to end a play. I can't think of a star staring down an official like he did at the end of that. There were like three straight possessions where like they got to like 15 seconds on the shot clock and LeBron wasn't down yet. Yeah, it, it was close to that. Uh, just really stared him down. I mean, that could have like descended into like total, total chaos. Another Another thing about like there's a chess match that was going on that I think that the Suns, as much as we've talked about, like LeBron couldn't get it going. They missed AD. All those things were major factors. But on the flip side of it, I mean, there was a chess match going on off the ball that really made it difficult for uh, the Lakers spot up players to get involved and to get into any kind of action. And that was um, Mikhail Bridges, when he wasn't on LeBron, did a really good job playing those passing lanes like on the other side of the ball. And we were talking about that was causing them to be really stagnant in the first half. And then, Bill, you were talking about, I mean, do you think that they should have switched to the center thing earlier? What do you all think about that? Yeah, I definitely think they should have switched to it earlier. Like kind of what we were talking about um, earlier is just Vogel way too, way too late with uh, with a lot of these adjustments. I think probably should have switched over to Gasol sooner rather than later. And then, you know, Booker cooked him, but I think that's also a lot of that is make or miss. Um, I think he realized after a while that he was going to get space. He's kind of figured out, like, I feel like Chris Paul is, like, just 
seeped himself into Booker's game. Like Booker now kind of knows exactly how much space he has, and that will just kill you in the pick and roll, especially if you if you combine like that Chris Paul esque ability to do that with the fact that he's so skilled. Uh, that's just that's just really tough. But yeah, like I think you probably get Morris in at the five earlier. I think you probably should have gone point LeBron as well. Like maybe play him at the center and also put the ball point, in his hand. Point center LeBron. Yeah, that's what exactly. I was calling for when I was texting texting to about that. I was like that. I thought that was their oh, okay. only option. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's that's the only thing they could have done. And I think maybe it goes back to the fact they thought they'd have AD, but you have to, I guess, be ready for some sort of contingency. But honestly, though, like. Nobody was hitting shots. They just don't have shooters and nobody was yeah. hitting shots. So really, what are you going to do? Like, I can't think of like who would have been the right four to put on the floor with him, which I guess honestly just gets to the larger Lakers issue. I'm really upset with myself. I choked on two things. A week before the playoffs, I was convinced that the Suns could beat the Lakers. And I was, I was adamant the Hawks were going to beat the Knicks. And then I saw some Randall stats. I got scared off the Hawks. And I watched that. Anthony Davis game when he destroyed the Suns. And I wish I never saw it. If I hadn't seen it, I don't, I, I watched that game. I was like, oh, they have no chance. He's, he's going to own them. I guess we should have known like this, this, that bubble season combined with the Lakers a little bit older. Davis is brittle anyway. Um, it, it just wasn't a slam dunk that, to me that this team could have stayed healthy for two months. We're going to take a quick break. I have a good Lakers stat for you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. I have two Lakers stats for you. The first one, defending champion first round exits just since 1980, the 80 Lakers, the 83 Sixers, 99 Spurs, 06 Heat, 2011 Mavs, and then the 2014 Spurs, who were an awesome team and got matched up against the Clippers the following year. This doesn't happen very often. Um, here's what's interesting to me. LeBron and Davis are on the books for $76.5 next year. 
Kuzma and KCP are at 26 million. I'm already basically at the salary cap. That's before we know if Harrell's going to opt in at 10 million, 9.7, whatever that is. They have restricted free agents, THT and Caruso. Um, there's not a lot of ways to make this team better. I know the Laker fans are going to be on the Lakers message board going, oh, we're going to convince Toronto. They'll give us Lowry sign and trade and we'll sign and trade Schroeder to them and then we'll have Lowry. And that's like, they're going to be talking to themselves in that. That's fine. They're the Lakers. They pulled stuff off before. I don't see a lot of ways for this team to get better because I think, you know, the one way, the mid-level is always the one way you can grab somebody. But I mean, Sarah, the, the mid-level guys this year were, Jay Crowder was probably the best one for the most part. They've been incredibly disappointing. Thompson, Abaka, Harrell. None of these guys really came through. Crowder was probably the best one, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And also, like, the, the other thing is just they're going to have to go into the bargain bin for some of some older guys continuously. I think this is pretty much the way that they're going to have to replenish things. But a lot of those guys, they're not really going to give you what you need. I think you probably want somebody that can run with AD. I think, honestly, this is a time to kind of look at what you have and try to develop it. And like Taylor Horton Tucker, if he can actually be a real playmaker instead of, you know, he put it, you know, he put it together for a half today. And I think that's, 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 that's good. It's nice. Right. right. But like, it's not, you know, he isn't what he could have been. But I also like, it, it's kind of similar to the Kuzma point where I just don't think that unless you fit exactly what they were doing, they just didn't really put a lot of emphasis on on development. Like, I think that's kind of part of the reason that they went out and got Drummond. He was a version of a guy that worked for them last year. Yeah. And they never really bothered figuring out how to make it with make it work with Gasol. If it was Schroeder or Alex Caruso, those guys had the ball anyway. So, yeah, they were empowered. And I think that they actually, like, that was... That was smart, you know? Like, I think they actually did a pretty good job on Booker. I think, you know, like, small guards are a little bit undervalued right now, and, and it's it's good to go out and get them. But aside from that, like, I just don't really... I don't really see how they work to, like, make things coalesce. I don't think this roster is actually that bad outside of the fact that it needs some shooting, which I think they can, you know, they can find some shooting. I, I just don't think that they actually, like, work to find out what they had. Well, and you also have the... What does year 19 LeBron look like? What does Davis look like now where he hasn't had any like major, major injuries, but there's just been a, there was some graphic I saw on ESPN today where they, or it was FS1. They just had all the injuries he's had and the whole screen was filled. And it was like four columns of injuries from like, you know, uh, dislocated index finger all the way to groin thing. And it was just on and on and on. And, you know, some guys just are less durable than other guys. But Kyle, is this it? Like they they traded all these picks and they're basically saying we're going to make a three-year run here. Maybe four, but, but it's a little like the Celtics when they had KG and Ray and Pierce. And it was like, we know we have a three-year window. If you get lucky, maybe it's four. But that Celtics team, they somehow pulled out five, but it was really because Derrick Rose got hurt. But it was really a three-year window. I would say this is a three-year window. They gave away a ton of picks. They did win a title. But maybe that's it. That might that might be where this ends. Yeah, I mean, if you go into a window like that and you say we can get one title, I mean, that's pretty good. The problem with playing with LeBron, and this has just been the, the case since he came into the league, is that he's such a floor raiser 
that development is always really difficult when he is there because like yes. stylistically the way he plays i mean we're kind of seeing this a little bit with luca too he definitely has like the the billy bean thing like when i point to you you talk that's what it's like to be to play with <laughs> lebron and it and it's you know that's that's the that's the problem with like we need to get these guys runway and open road so that they can get the reps they need to grow um, and even the guys that you were talking about, like Kyle Lowry, he's going to be turning if he's not 35 already. So that's the kind of the territory you get into is like dealing with these players and then like durability just starts to mount and then you're just really rolling the dice. Can these guys continue to stay healthy? I mean, I guess the other thing is, what if we what if AD like you were talking about his durability? What if AD comes back and just has like a monster career year? Like uh, what? how old is AD now? He's 20. He's in the range. I think he's yeah. like 28. He's 28, I think. Because we didn't get that this year because he was coming back from the bubble. I guess it's possible that maybe we get down on AD a little bit here and he could just come back and be super AD and have an incredible year. That would be a big thing that would bridge the gap between some of these things. And then you just get lucky and hit on some value, kind of drink-stirring like guards like Syrett was talking about, like the kind of players that Phoenix has a few of that they burned the Lakers with. Um so I mean, it's it's a really tricky uh, thread that that they're uh, needle that they're trying to thread with this. Sarah- yeah, I mean, there's always guys out there. Tory Craig, for example, is a guy that that was straight up just out there, and and two contenders let him go, and now he's another guy that's. I thought you meant tonight. Feeling. He was just straight up out there on the court. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was a bad place. He was to out it. there. He did. He did. <laughs> I was thinking Paul George to the Clippers set off this amazing chain of events that actually could decide this year's playoffs in a weird way because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's going to the Clippers with Kawhi. They might be losing to Dallas tomorrow night. They're out. That also sends Westbrook to Houston and Chris Paul to OKC, but then eventually Chris Paul to Phoenix. So Paul George going to the Clippers lands Chris Paul in Phoenix eventually. But then it also, because Westbrook's in Houston, it makes Harden want to get the fuck out out of Houston. And he ends up in Brooklyn and as weird as this sounds, this Kawhi Paul George trade could end up knocking the Lakers out, the Clippers out, and then giving us a Brooklyn Phoenix finals. It's conceivable. It's like it's like the all-time fucking weirdo dominoes thing. But I really think like that's in play now. I because Sarah, you're looking at the West now, the Lakers are out. I just assumed the Lakers would get their shit together. It never happened. And we're now looking at Denver, Dallas, or the Clippers. Phoenix, Utah. Those are the teams we have left. One of those teams are going to be in the finals. That's what has to happen. And I just look at that. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, like Luca could make the finals. You look at that list and you're like, eh, he could get hot for two more series. And, and that's it. Like when, when I read those teams to you, what's the one that jumps out? Probably Phoenix, honestly. Uh, I just think they're the most complete team. And I also think like a win like this is just really big for a team that's never really been in this situation before. Like, I mean, you can start with Booker, right? Um, Booker kind of just proved that he is who he think he thinks he is. And I think that's big. Being able to go into your first round, like your first ever first round series, and you're going up against a guy that like, you know, who's been kind of like patting you on the back. Like, I feel like it, it like LeBron and AD both have been kind of patting Devin Booker on the back for a really long time. And then to be able to just own that series like not just like play well and show hey yeah I do belong but like have 47 points and not even care to chase 50 because like you're a fucking professional you know like that's 
that's really special. And like, I think he got to that place by the end of this series. Like, he was solely kind of building his way up as a playmaker and like, you know, kind of taking little Chris Paul things. And like, you know, there's a play where he just like, I think the Lakers were making a run and he was just like, he screamed. He was like, no. And then he drove down and just got a foul. Like, it was just like, okay, like that's smart. Like, you just know that you can control the pace of the game like that. Like, he's kind of, he's gotten to that place, and I think this is just going to be a big confidence booster for him. Mikhail Bridges figured so much stuff about about his game this year. Like, he's been super hot. Crowder's been super hot. Cam Johnson has been a little bit more streaky, but, you know, and Chris Paul, obviously, has been there before. Aiton, man. Aiton figuring out, like, oh, yeah, I can actually, what Aiton did to AD in game one is something that I bet he'll carry with him for a while. Because, that was kind of the rub on him. It's like, is he going to be inconsistent? Like, is he too skinny? Is he, you know, going to be able to hold up against AD? Are there going to be games, plays that he just takes off? He didn't take off any plays. I didn't, I feel like in this series, like he, he made such a big step and now he has to go against, against Jokic, who is probably going to, you know, he's going to win MVP and he's going to get every call in the world. But like having that in your back pocket and being as versatile as those guys are, they're also one of the only teams, like other than the Clippers, that I feel like while they rely on the three-point shot a lot, they can also just get other shots with with Devin and, and Chris. So I, I'm I'm terrified of the Suns if I'm if I'm the West. And I hope I mean I'm I think I'm rooting for the Suns. I think I'm rooting for the Suns. I decided at halftime today that it was just really cool to see you know Chris Paul on this team maybe actually making the finals in a year where like you know LeBron's out, so that you know sucks. For me personally. Um, but it's I think I think this is his best shot. And it's actually really cool that we got this series too with with LeBron and him, even though it was like at times I thought it was underwhelming. I don't think I enjoyed it probably as much as you did, Bill, but it was really cool. And I think, you know, they probably have I think they have the best shot from here. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as you'd think because I had a couple I had a Bucks Lakers finals bet that uh went kaput at thirteen to one. I did, mm-hmm. really didn't enjoy that part. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you, like, when you make those bets, are you thinking about them the entire season or do you just kind of like, is it like, let's invest in some crypto and then just not think about it for five years? No, I usually do like value. So I thought, I really thought the Bucs were the underrated value team heading into the playoffs. And I wanted to pair them with somebody as a finals team. And at, at, you know, when we're making the bet, Davis was, seemed like he was a hundred percent and they seem like the scariest team and it seemed like the logical one to do. I don't, I mean, you look at the, I, I didn't think Utah was going to do it. Um, Denver and Dallas just didn't seem like they had the supporting cast in place. But now like, I'll tell you, like watching Denver and how unbelievable Jokic is. And I know we're going to talk about that game next, but um, you know, they're way down in that Portland game and Jokic is just so goddamn good that he just single-handedly brought them back he changed the pace of the game. He kind of broke Portland's brain with all the stuff he was doing. And I'm just going to be really fascinated to see how Phoenix tries to defend him. Cause I'm not sure Aiton's the right guy, but you know, either way, Jokic, it, it doesn't really matter who's on him, but I'm sure they'll send different people at him. They're going to be doing all these different things. I don't think it matters. He just, he's like Luca. He, he solves everything. What do you, Kyle, what do you think of that matchup? Phoenix, Denver, just, uh, Hey, just like gut reaction, how that series goes. Um, well, I mean, aside from how it goes, I l- just cannot wait to watch it because it's going to be a blast. But I mean, um, in terms of how it goes, I don't know, man. I, I was thinking because my gut reaction was like, well, you know, Denver 
I don't know if they're going to be complete enough to go take them on, but it's like they do, they have shot making. Jokic is just such a force to deal with. Um, I could see that one going deep. I could see that one going six or seven games too. Um, it could I don't know. just be the, who's the best player in the series series. Sometimes that happens, right? Where it's like, yeah, all right, this is now Jokic versus Booker. Who's better? Because that's basically what Portland Denver was. And Jokic and Lillard went toe-to-toe and toe-to-toe. And then finally Lillard in the second half, he kind of tapped out. He did. He just didn't have it anymore. And Jokic was still going, going, going. And that was it. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious to see Jokic like shift into, all right, I'm going to take... He just kind of put the game in a headlock and just was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to play it. A lot of things really broke favorably for them during that stretch. I mean, he, the whistle was pretty good. I, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to assume that Portland fans are going to gripe about that. Um, I mean, he got a lot, a lot of good calls. Something that really just jumps out that's different from this year to last year. You know, I know the Nuggets went far last year, but it, it's really critically important that they have a guy who's as mobile and also as strong and can space the floor uh, as well as Aaron Gordon does, because I, w- I was looking up how they played the pick and roll in this series, because that was the key. That was the key thing, because you know Portland really loves to dribble shoot out of the pick and roll, and they can do it with McCollum, and they can do it, you know, with with Dame. Obviously, um, you know they came up and blitz Dame a ton. I, I on uh, Second Spectrum to pull a KLC, according to Second Spectrum, uh, two hundred forty three. Uh, pick and rolls in this, and 67 times they they blitzed him to get it out of his hands. Normally, that's going to cause chaos and put Jokic in like a terrible situation because he's in open space. But if you have a big, strong athlete who's quick, like Gordon, who can like body fives and protect the rim a little bit, that helps a little bit, and that kind of stemmed the tide um, and and helped them kind of get over the hump. But uh, yeah, it was to me the 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 interesting thing the carryover is that I was really impressed with the stasis and sort of the poise that Jokic, it, it seems to me like Denver has taken on his personality in terms of like, they just were calm. You know, you never felt like they were out over their skis at, towards the end of that game. They looked like a competent playoff team at the end of that game. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of calm in that like, I feel like they were just like, yeah, we don't really need to try until the third quarter. Very, very It was a very like, I think I think there's a moment where Jokic just felt like, ah, we can win this game. You know what I mean? Like I just it just felt like that the entire game. And they did get a lot of that second quarter was critical with uh Jokic coming back in and just basically getting to foul whoever he wanted because the refs didn't want to give him a third foul. I felt I thought that was a really nice power move from him, just knowing he's gonna win MVP pretty soon. It's like, yeah, I can pull a little bit of LeBron. Um, but I think he's gonna get tired, honestly, in a series in the next series because he played every game this season. And I think he's like pretty much the only high-level player to do that. And he's just got so much on him. This is a better defensive team. I feel like they're going to like, you know, like they just get in passing lanes a lot more. I feel like they're going to create turnover issues. Then you get him in pick and roll with like with Booker and CP3. It's tough. It's tough. But back to uh, back to the Blazers for a second, like one of the things I kept thinking about was just like, like, man, if one of if the Blazers had Aaron Gordon, this would be a completely different series. And they've almost had him a couple of times. And it just sucks because, like, you know that Portland's not going to look the same next year. But I was kind of going through like some of the things that they've done. And like, while they've made some mistakes, I don't think that they're have been egregious errors by anybody on that 
in that front office, aside from like you could say that they haven't been bold enough, but you kind of look at what they've done and it's like, well, they just didn't necessarily have some of these trades break right for them. Zach Collins' draft was pretty bad, but aside from that, like, I don't know. What do you guys think Portland's going to look like next year? And also, like, more than that, like, what can they really do to to increase their ceiling at this point? Because, like, I just don't see a move that's like, yeah, we're going to overhaul everything and, and things are going to be better here. Well, isn't the problem they, they kind of went all in last summer? Or I guess last October, since we didn't have a summer. But, you know, they traded two first-rounders for Covington. And, and that was the deal that was going to be Gordon. Right. So. so they they basically tried to make their team in the offseason versus waiting to see how the actual season was going to shake out. And sometimes teams do that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I've never been a huge fan of let's build my team now. And, you know, I think the Nets are a good example of they they didn't try to do that in the offseason. Now, granted, the Harden thing fell into their laps once he quit on Houston. But even they, it was almost like they were planning for the Blake Griffin type of person that was going to come in. They didn't, they didn't try to like panic sign that guy in the off season. And it felt like Portland tried to build their complete contender before the year before kind of seeing how it would all go together. And I don't know. I mean, the, the, the center thing, I didn't, would Zach Collins have made a difference? I don't feel like he would have. What do you think, Kyle? If he's I, healthy, does he make a difference in this series? Probably not. I think Jokic would have sucked his brain out and drop kicked it into the <laughs> state. I mean, it would have been like Starship Troopers like that. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, no, I don't think that he would have made a big difference. I mean, I have, I mean, I have a little faith. I, I tend optimistic on a lot of young players typically just to be nice. But uh, I mean, as in that series, no, in the long term. I mean, I guess the question for them is like, who's, I mean, Jesus, they owe Dame. They're going to pay Dame $54 million in 24 25. Uh, who's nailed down for them? Like, who is uh, in Ooh, the future? I have, uh, yeah, I have yeah, an I was answer for that. Try to set um, you up for that. <laughs> I have an answer, but let's take a break. Let's set some drama and then we'll come back. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights bad weather, you want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system. Comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today 
I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. Yeah, so I hate to do it. He was even on my podcast and I was joking about how I put him in trade rumors every year, but I, I think the CJ McCollum stuff, I'm sorry, CJ. I think it's going to start again. I don't know. You know, Dame's 30. They're not trading Dame. I have Knicks fans in my life who were like, oh yeah, Dame time. It's like, you're not getting Dame. Settle down. Uh, I don't think Dame gets traded, but you know, if you're just looking at who would get traded on that team, they don't really have a lot of assets. You know, Covington just gets passed around like a Yankee Christmas swap gift. Um, he's, I don't know how many teams he's been on at this point. Simons, I don't feel like has trade value and, and, but CJ does. And, you know, it makes sense if you think about like, could they get, you know, somebody who's different than just having two guards? Like, could it be, is there an Indiana matchup, stuff like that? I, I don't know. I haven't gone through the trade machine, but I would assume if they're trading CJ, which I don't even know if that's a good idea, um, they would want somebody who has some size. I was, in, in my head, I was wondering like a Sabonis CJ I think Sabonis has more value than CJ, but something like that, that's the kind of trade you would have to think about if you're thinking about moving him. Yeah, there might be. There might be, but I mean, what team is Kawhi on next year? We, we, tomorrow night, we could have the Mavs winning in six and then, you know, the Kawhi sweepstakes are on. Is Kawhi going to leave LA? I don't know. It feels... I, I'm prepared for anything. I, I, we've learned over the last 10 years that everything's on the table at all times, right? Like we, LeBron went back to Cleveland in 2014, wrote that SI piece. I'm back. I'm going to retire here. This is, um, it's time to build something in Ohio, blah, blah, blah. He was gone in four years. Like we, we just know over and over again. I never thought Harden was going to leave Houston. He loved it there. So I, I don't, I just never assume I, do you, do you, would you bet your life Luca's going to stay in Dallas for 15 years? Sir, what do you think? <laughs> Curry's, Curry's like the only one I would bet will never leave his team. I just don't think he ever leaves. He's the only one. Everyone else I would believe they're going to leave. It's just a different era. Uh, you know, and you were talking about, about like, I don't, there's like dissonance for me between like Sabonis and Nurkic. The thing, the problem, the inherent problem is you just kind of look at the balance of their big three here, t very loosely using the term big three. Yes. You look at like Lillard, McCollum, those are two guys who are pretty much score first, not like naturally playmaking inclined players. So when you have that, you try to put like a fulcrum screener playmaker in between them and that's Nurkic. It's like, well, I, I don't think you could play Sabonis and Nurkic together. So that, I just think that's kind of the problem for them. Um, and, and I mean, I was thinking back about like, I made a Blazers video like two years ago where I was thinking about how they could get aggressive. There was a time where Simons was an intriguing player because he was this sort of volatile proposition where people are, were like, this guy could be a star. And the same thing with, with, uh, with Zach Collins, but that time has passed. So they're kind of in a corner now in that sense. There's no, Sir, there's no way... There's no way Dame Blockbuster trade happens, right? I mean, he'd have to demand it, I would think, right? He's a... Do you know how many first-round exits I, he's had in the last five years? I think it's four of the last five years, right? Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been watching the same movie with the Blazers for so long. It's just like Dame time will either get them out of the first round or or it won't. Like he's either going to make or miss those shots. And that's essentially what the Blazers are. It's so hard to come up with a good CJ trade, though. And I think this is essentially like kind of what happens every single time. We have this conversation every year. I'm sorry, at this point. CJ. I really like, am. I didn't mean to bring it up. I just, I. It's hard to find a deal that actually makes them better without them having to take on some sort of risk. And I think that if you look back at some of the, the decisions they haven't made, like you can kind of give them credit and say, "Hey, like maybe it was good that they didn't trade TJ for DeMarcus Cousins. Like that was on the table very seriously for <laughs> right. a little while. And everybody was like, that needs to happen. It would really balance out their roster, which it would have briefly. Um, we don't, but we do not besmirch DeMarcus Cousins in my presence. So I just want to put that out there, but yeah. Uh, uh, well, we <laughs> you could besmirch, Are you, you're a DeMarcus besmirch away. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, it's Come just, on, Kyle. Yeah. I know it's, I'm just being loyal. Come on, so. Kyle. Put, put your DeMarcus jersey away. Uh, what about Sacramento? Is there is there a little buddy healed Marvin Bagley? Is that like a they, they, see? I never am the the two quarters for a dollar type trade. A buddy healed is probably fifty cents. That's a seventy five cents a dollar. But like, do you try to do a two for one? I don't know. Not for Bagley. Neither one of those Not guys solve their problems. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you need defense and you need playmaking. I don't know where you get that. That's just why it's so hard to make trades. That's what everybody wants. I mean, it's what the, the you know, that's it's what makes good offense. That's what every team wants. So those guys are hard to get. Can we expensive. do Is there a can Draymond we do a thought deal? exercise? Oh. Draymond going to Portland with CJ. Oh, that's I don't I don't know if I'd be buying on Draymond these days when he is having two-point games pretty Fair routinely. Enough. Not for CJ. Not for CJ. I think, like, what if you tried to put together, like, all of the assets that they have remaining? It's probably just not enough because they just don't have a lot. But, yeah. Yeah, they probably can't get him. They need that type of play player, though. Mm -hmm. Like, they need... You could probably get a, a guy at a lower price that can do some of those things. And, I mean, like, some of these guys have just been kind of popping up. Like, if they had, like, a Deshaun Tate, even a Bruce Brown type of player just kind of pop up for them, that would you know, be lovely. And they're kind of out there, I guess. But yeah, it just, it's it's tough to think of, it's tough to think about a trade that actually makes them better. Let's do this thought exercise. I was just trying to think like, all right, if Dame actually gets traded, is it a one for one? Because we've had those in NBA history, right? Where it's like the kid from- You really want to talk about a Dame trade. Let, well, like, let's, I'm let's just saying this. like, <laughs> he's, thir he's 30 years old. They are not able to build a team around him that can effectively contend. I personally would not trade him unless I got one of the other 10 guys who matter in the league. I'm not doing like a, oh, give me a bunch of draft picks so I can keep my job for seven years. I'm not doing a two for one. I need to get the, one of the other superstars back. And I don't think any of those guys are available. So the only way he goes is if he says, it's it's time. I'm ready to go. We gave this an awesome run. I've been here almost a decade. I'm no closer to a title than I was six years ago. And send me somewhere. And I just, if, if I'm Portland, unless I'm getting one of the other great players in the league back, I'm not doing it. Look at what happened to Houston. 
Houston traded one of the main chess pieces in the league and got nothing back that I can point to, you know? So I don't yeah, know what they do. Like, you know, Portland doesn't isn't obligated to trade as poorly as Houston did, you know? I think that... Fair. Would probably be part of Fair. it. You can, get, you can get some stuff back for a star. I think Portland could probably drive a reasonably tough bargain just because of what Dame has meant to them. I just don't, like, at, at this point... Can you not, can you say no to a superstar trade demand? I don't think you can, especially if you're Portland. I don't think you could say no to Dame. And I, it's way far ahead. I don't think he's going to make a trade request, but. I don't think he will either. Oh. Um, yeah, I just, he would have done it by now, I would think. Or, um, or, and he just. He did, there was that Chris Haynes article that I thought was a mild, mild, mild red flag that was just like, it was just floated out there and then. Dame was like, look, I didn't tell Chris to write that, but it it, it was a thing that happened for a day and it, it has it warrants mentioning. Yeah, that was interesting. I think, you know, I think I think Oh, see, you you there's a trade you want to tell us. You just won't do it. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Hey you Kyle. Just, <laughs> you seem bur- you seem burdened with something you want to yeah, just spit out. Yeah. We'll, no, I just I'm gonna ask Kyle a question while you decide whether you want to say it or not. Uh what do you think new GM, new Portland GM Danny Ainge is gonna do, Kyle? <laughs> I Well, I mean, based on what we described before, it's a tough place to I the bottleneck not make any trades. Yeah, well, yeah. The, I think the bottleneck probably, is is in the issue that like they gave him a, a a contract that is you know gigantic, and it and it, you're not going to get a one for one trade because the problem is is that they are valuing him differently because they want to keep him there, so they're paying him all that money. But the rest of the league, I don't think that you can put Dame in the same conversation as some of these other like tectonic offensive pieces that can like you can. The problem with Dame is that, like, like I was just describing, is that like he's not like a guy like um, that is going to carry a huge playmaking load, and I think that's the difference between him and like a Luca, a Jokic, a LeBron, um, a Harden. These guys that can can really just be an offensive piece that you you plug things into. He like he really keep, makes your options narrow. So I mean, you would have to depend on trading him for multiple pieces. And then you'd have to find somebody that would have them. And it's just, it just is really, it just doesn't add up because of the numbers, because of, you know, their, their value is different than, than other people. So. Yeah. It really does feel like the Knicks are the best option there. <laughs> I was going to say, Sarah, <laughs> who would the Knicks, Knicks want? No, my Knicks fan <laughs> friends, believe me, there's been a couple of my life who are like, all right, you're telling me RJ Barrett are two first this year. And then just first some pick swaps for the rest of the decade. The Blazers are saying, no, I'm like, eh. I don't know. I mean, they do really need to replenish their pick stock. Yeah. Like, I don't think they can trade anything until twenty uh, until 2027. I'm on the record. I'm not trading. If I have one of the, you know, every year there's seven guys that matter. There's nine guys that matter. There's 11 guys that matter. This year we had an inordinate amount of guys that matter. It's like 11. I'm just not trading one of those guys unless I'm getting an awesome trade back. I don't care about like these future picks and stuff like it was one thing when um you know when when um davis was basically like i'm going to la in a year or you can trade me now and new orleans like all right and they just try to grab as many assets as possible when you're when, when you're basically being extorted that's one thing um but i i don't think portland should trade dame unless he basically 
throws a tantrum. And I don't think he's that kind of guy. I don't think he will. I think it's also, I mean, we just watched a whole bunch of Dame time and like not to get overly sentimental here, but you know, I'm sure the city of Portland feels pretty romantic about him and doesn't want to just give him up for no reason and, and has had amazing memories with him and will continue to like, you know, I think that's kind of the deal that, that Dame has made. Like he has decided that he is going to be this guy and you know, I'd love to see him kind of get his Dirk championship where like one year things just break the right way for for them finally. The the only problem I have with it is that seems to be kind of like what they hope for as well. Like I just don't see them building a team that says, hey, we're going to contend for a championship. Like I've I, I give them some leeway because they've had some they, they've they've tried and they've had some tough spots and like they, there aren't a lot of good trade trades out there for them. Uh, but, you know, like you watch these games and it's like Michael Porter Jr. is the one guy that, that goes off and you've got CJ guarding him. And it's like, well, that's the worst thing that you can do because he can shoot over anybody. And then you got Dame guarding him. And it's just it's just not enough. Like signing Mello to like <laughs> Mello to me. Melo to me is kind of like he's the benchmark, right? Like if you can contend right now, that means that you probably also can't be giving Carmelo Anthony rotation minutes. Like it's kind of one or the other. And that's like <laughs> not to say I'm not trying to, you know, like he's carved out a role for himself, I guess, right? But like Wait, so you're saying you he shouldn't be able to have one. He shouldn't like not on a team that actually says like, like yeah, we we're serious. We want to make the finals. Just, like there's a reason he's not on those. You wouldn't teams. want him guarding the MVP Nikola Jokic in a I'm double overtime to hear game. That. Yeah, it's... yeah. No, I just not not the guy that I'd bring over for doubles either. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly but, fleet yeah. of foot these days. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it just they're just not trying. They're like they don't seem like they're trying to like go for that. It seems like that's what they're hoping for too. And that's where I think that like you know Dame can put some pressure on the organization. He should put some pressure on and say, hey, like be as serious as I am. You know, I loved when Sarah just went Canadian on us and said organization. That was, that was <laughs> the highlight of the pod for me. Can I ask um, you all a question? Go ahead, Kyle. I was going to ask you. You mentioned the Dirk thing. I don't. I'm sure this has been brought up by somebody. But is there is there like you know, twenty you know twenty eleven Mavs energy with this Nuggets team just a little bit. I mean, you think about like you got a guy. I don't know. Is it, are we seeing that at all? It could break right. I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, they'd have to have like. I don't know if they have the defenders, but I'm going to say something controversial. I okay. actually think Jokic, the level he's at now, is even higher than where Dirk was ten years ago, just because his ability. Dirk made other people better just because his offense was so great as scoring. But Jokic is like creating baskets for dudes who just aren't very good. That Mavs team, Terry was a really good offensive player, right? He wasn't quite an all-star, but he was good. Mm-hmm. Chandler and Marion were like, you know, unbelievable defensive players at that point. Um, they, Denver just doesn't have guys like that. What I thought was interesting about them today, did you notice how they played that kind of tall lineup? where it was like green and then they had Gordon and Porter together Mm -hmm. and they just kind of went with length and it really bothered Portland in a lot of ways. And I was thinking like this next round with Phoenix, I actually think that could be a lineup we could see. And and my point is like Dallas was a little malleable with that stuff. So I I think you might be onto something like, I don't know if they have the veteran piece, but they do have the malleability and they do have the fantastic offensive player. And by the way, it's one of those seasons where the West is, 
wide Weird. open. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think I think Jokic gives him a chance no matter what because like what you've seen him do with Jamala, like he's done this all season. You know, he's just been the most consistent player in the league because like it's what you said, Bill. Like he just makes plays for others and you've kind of seen him just like vacuum up all of what Jamal Murray leaves behind and just like here's like I'm going to give a little bit to to, to Monte Morris and here's a little bit for MPJ and I think that he can just kind of like he's still figuring out Gordon too like they haven't really actually like they they click well and they connect well because Gordon is just such a big guy and he's so easy to find and he cuts well but they don't really know each other yet right um and I think he's still actually getting to know MPJ I feel like he has like a he has like a love-hate relationship with him it feels like I feel like sometimes he just gets very annoyed at him and other times just like you know what it's nice that I have like this very tall guy that has incredible touch they are wired on my team totally. when I when I happen to be like the best quarterback in the NBA. Sorry, what are you saying? I was just going to chime in there that like they are wired totally differently. Like it's, and I actually think that MPJ should try to stay with Jokic as long as he possibly can because I, th- I think that they He's balance each other player. perfectly. Yeah. yeah. He's a perfect player. And also, like, now they're, it's taken off some of the defensive pressure on MPJ to figure things out, which I actually think he will. I think that he's way smarter than people give him credit for. He just, like, clearly just doesn't have, like, command with his body yet. Like, I, I think it's probably, like, all the time that he spent hurt. Like, he, I feel like he just goes outside of his body sometimes. Um, and he'll get there. But, yeah, like, I think, like, that's a growth point, you know? Like, he's had a great two games here I think he can continue to find more stuff in his game like kind of like you know with the Heat with Tyler Hero last year like they just kind of continued to find new things as series went on like he's he's definitely a candidate for something like that and like I don't, I don't know Bill I don't even think it's that controversial to say that that Jokic is better than Dirk was 10 years ago I mean this guy is incredible he's just breaking offensive charts everywhere and he's like he doesn't need anything. He just makes everything better for everyone around him. He's like the Steph Curry of centers, like needs to hold the ball for like two seconds, just sets like screen after screen after screen. Like watching him in the middle is so funny because he's just like, he's just turning around in different areas. Like he's hardly ever at the three point line (laughs) until there's actually a screen that he likes. But like, yeah, he's just, he can kind of just replenish whatever it is that that Denver's missing. But like, it's kind of interesting. Like, bringing up the the 2011 Mavs because I feel like every team sh- that's that's remaining should think that they can be like the 2011 Mavs. <laughs> yeah. Because well, like there da- are Dallas shooters. definitely is the other one that the 2021 Dallas. That's the other one that's like, yeah. "All right, hey, we did this 10 years ago. Let's 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 run it back." Just shooters, zone defense and like just some somebody on a historical run. Like, you know, Denver can do that. Dallas can do that. I think, you know, like I said, I th- I think the Suns are probably the best candidate to do that. But yeah, I mean, like there are a lot of streaky teams left over with a lot of smart guys that can like, I think, I think these teams are like kind of suited to guard each other too, mm-hmm. like with the with the remaining guys left. It was so funny in that Mavs clips game four, the Mavs are getting blown out, and they threw out Porzingis and Boban together. And I was watching it. I don't even know why I was still watching. The game was over. And I was like, hmm, kind of like yeah. this. That, you know, I I always said this with the Celtics with Taco. Like, sometimes when it's not working, just get weird. Throw weird people out there. Throw tall guys together and just get weird for a second. And 
then all of a sudden they started game five that way. And it was actually, they must've run some analytics thing and they were like, Hey, this, this is weird, but it kind of works. And it, it makes, it screws the Clippers up for whatever reason. Um, Kyle, it's, it's almost 1130 at night. I think you're officially groggy enough to ask this question. Okay. Why didn't the refs fix the game tonight for the Lakers? Do you think David Stern? <laughs> do you think David Stern, if he if he'd been alive, do you think LeBron would have shot thirty free throws today? This is an interesting thing you're doing here because I'm, this is a question you want to answer and riff on, but you're throwing it to me. I'm so disappointed. There was one stretch where they called the Lakers for like four fouls in a row, and I'm like, what is happening? It this really is your did have that vibe. Team. What Could happened on it? that play where LeBron like did Crowder just? straight up just like bear hug him stuff him because it looked seemed like maybe it. maybe it's just my eyes just aren't used to seeing that happen to lebron like it, it just kind of was like oh hercules isn't isn't immortal it's like he's yeah, like i can never tell if he's getting fouled or if he's just missing layups anymore yeah they were i don't know i don't know how hurt he was and may we'll probably find out after that he was playing with like a torn ligament in his ankle or something but i'm sure he, we will he and whether it's ever proven we'll never know but um, there were moments where he reminded me of when Carl Malone started to get old, but still looked exactly like Carl Malone and was still just as strong and, and as explosive. But then there would be these moments where he looked a little more mechanical and you're like, Oh, that's cause you've been in the league for 18 years. There were moments when LeBron just seemed kind of stiff. People mm -hmm. can't see I'm moving my body. Like he just was, he used to be more fluid. I mean, he, he Again, he's 35 years old and he's been playing for two decades now. But um, there's like Jay Crowder is not stuffing him seven years ago. It's not happening. Oh, no. Oh, he wasn't stuffing him uh, less than a year ago in the bubble. Right. Like if, I think if you want a benchmark for how different he looks, it's just how much more Jay, Jay Crowder has an actual handle on him. It's, Great point. It's kind of it's kind of crazy what how different it is. And like, that's kind of why I feel like it might be OK. You know, like he just probably needs a break. I wonder, I mean, the Olympics are in about seven weeks. He's probably going to the Olympics, right? Is he? You think so? I I don't think any of these guys money, are going. Money. Really? LeBron, LeBron's a responsible corporate partner for the, for the league. Especially with like all the COVID risk and all that discussion. I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like a dicey thing. I haven't really followed that. I think that team's going to be. I, mean, I guess there's always that question of like, are the Olympics actually going to happen? That is, you know, hovering above all of this. But I don't know. I just, I feel like LeBron's kind of, has he said anything about it? I don't, I think our team's going to be like Isaiah Thomas and <laughs> people Robbie, who. Robbie yeah, Hummel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All those people, it's what's going to happen. This episode is brought to you by Honda. Honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps 
Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. Can we do quick predictions? And then we'll go before Kyle just passes out on the Zoom. Kyle, what a trooper. Both of you staying up late. I'm hitting my second wind here. I'm doing okay. Dealing with my, my daughter interrupting us by getting food. Um, the uh, predictions, gun to your head. Um, what happens in Dallas Clips? I feel like the Clips are going to get the next one. I don't know. I, I just have this feeling that they're going to. Sirid is smiling. Bill shook his head. Did, so was that a double yeah, just, a double disagree? No, I I, I, I think I, it's just really dangerous to give Luca and these shooters two games. I don't know which one it's going to be. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, he's made his. I've seen a lot of people say it. He's made his kind of uh, submission for like best player in the world right now. So I mean, betting against him is. And I, I even I don't even know why I would do that. I just kind of feel like it might go seven. Um, I could I could see them doing it. Like I think what you said is true. I think the volatility of their shooting and, and you just let him. Luca is is I, I was thinking about Luca and and Jokic have this in common. They're like those kids in that Rubik's cube documentary. They can just inherently solve it with their offhand. They just feel basketball so fluidly like that. Um, I don't know. I kind of have this feeling like the Clippers will get the next one and then Game Seven. I'd, I'll just lean Luca because I'd like to see it happen. I could. The Clippers are the kind of team that will win Game Six and puff their chests out, and and then uh, blow Game Seven at home by like twenty two. <laughs> that would be my prediction. That would be the Clipperiest ending to this whole thing. I do think Luca's. I mean, it's not rocket science. He's the best player in the series, and if he didn't get hurt in Game Three, I think the series would be over already. They have no answer for him. They haven't figured it out. Yet, and even in the fourth quarter, game five, he sucked. He was bad in the fourth quarter for him. He took bad shots, and um, but he had done so much damage to them already. The Clips couldn't recover. So I'm going with Dallas. What do you have, Sarah? Yeah, I'm going with Dallas. I agree with you. They haven't found an answer to him at all. And like, I just, I just don't think, you know, unless it's like Kawhi and PG deciding to trap him all game, like there's just no tenable solution. You just have to hope they miss shots. Um. Phoenix, Denver. I we know Sierra's just ready to put on a Suns jersey at this point. So I have you, I have you marked down for Phoenix. What do you have, Kyle? Uh, I think I'll go Phoenix too. Um, I I think that this one could go six or seven as well. I think it could be a really competitive series for the reasons that you all said. Um, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if we get another like major. I think they're going to need more. MPJ outbursts in this matchup than they did in the last round. They could kind of, you know, sprinkle them in here. They might give him a little more open road. Um, and Austin Rivers, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll I'll lean Phoenix in that matchup as well. Yeah, I I'm glad you brought that up because I think Denver wins if Porter keeps going up, like what we even just saw in this series. There, there was stuff he was doing in this series that for the first time made me think like, oh shit, this guy's going to be in multiple All-Star games. You know, like they, there was just really, really advanced, high, high level athletic stuff and scoring touch and 
um, an energy. Remember when we were worried about would, would he be happy being basically the sidekick for Jokic? Was he going to be cool with that? Um, he's in. He's he's all in. He knows exactly what his role is. And I got to be honest, like the Ewing Theory Committee is, we do have Jamal Murray's resume. We we are looking at it, wondering, you know, is is are we going to be adding Jamal Murray to the to the great vaunted Ewing Theory history? I have this weird feeling Denver is going to win this series. I'm staying away. I'm not betting the series. I don't know what to make of it. I want to watch a couple games. I want to see how Jokic looks. But I do wonder if this is just the best player in the series series. And I'm, it's hard for me to go against Jokic. Sir, you're taking the Suns. Okay. Uh, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. So on FanDuel, Milwaukee is a plus 160 underdog. Which I was surprised by because I think this is a pretty even series. Brooklyn, who, Milwaukee has home court. No, Brooklyn has home court. I'm not sure that really matters. Um, I think Milwaukee's going to win. I think Milwaukee's going to make the finals and I think Milwaukee's the best team in the league. I don't know if that means they're going to win the title, but um, I just like this matchup for them. And I think Brooklyn playing that shit Celtics team made them look fantastic. And I think threw some people off the scent of what it's going to be like when they play a real team. I think people just in their heads now are like, oh my God, unstoppable. They're going to score 140 points a game. There's some issues with Brooklyn that I think Milwaukee can expose. They're going to have real rim protection. They're going to have big guys to throw at them. This is... To me, the ultimate Drew Holiday series, this is why he exists on the earth to be in this series, floating between Harden and Kyrie. They have guys to throw at KD. And I just think Milwaukee's going to win. What, are you, what do you think, Sarah? Oh, man, I think this is like a James Harden legacy series. Ooh. Uh, first of all, we, fi we finally get Harden versus Giannis, which... I got to say, the one thing with player movement that I really love is that we just got Chris Paul versus LeBron. Never thought we'd get that. Now we're getting Harden versus Giannis, which is not really something that I think was in the realm of possibility mm. before this. So super excited for that. But I mean, I've I, I've spent so much time thinking about this series, A, because I just need to do a mea culpa on, on the Bucks. I picked the Heat to beat them. I Ooh. thought Bam was going to be just so, so much better than he was. Uh, we don't have, obviously we don't have to talk about that series, but the Bucks defense just obliterated them. And I just wonder if, I think maybe a similar sort of thing might be happening where they just made the heat look so bad that they look unstoppable. Um, the heat couldn't really hit any shots. They weren't getting anything out of their superstars and they just didn't really have spacing. Um, I think a good barometer uh, is just going to be like how well Blake Griffin plays like if he if they can find a way to actually like get the lobs going up you know we could see we could see a real series but I think they're probably going to pack the paint and it's going to come down to making shots because like the other thing is Brooklyn's defense isn't that bad when they take the ball out of the basket um they're they're fine so if they can hit shots and and just get back and just not let Yanis get out in transition which is obviously like a huge huge challenge especially like with the way, the way that those guys generate steals. Um, yeah, it just execute your offense, hit your shots, and I think the Nets probably pull it out. But 
it really is just going to be like, I know it's a cop out, but it's it's one of those make or miss series for me. I just think that the potential for a weird feedback loop to get going is so high. You know, when we hired Sarah, she promised us she'd never say it was a make or miss league. So I, I feel like I'm misled. <laughs> Betrayed. My feelings are hurt. I don't know. We'll get, we'll try to get past it. Um, that was a cop out. You didn't make a pick. I don't know what just happened. I did cop out. Yeah. That I was a total cop out. out. Um, You're just rattled because you took Miami. You don't want to get burned again. <laughs> I am. I am. Well, I'm doing that thing where I'm like, I still kind of believe the things that I believe about the Bucks, but I was so wrong that now I'm doubting myself. All right. Um, You're taking Brooklyn. I'm penciling in for Brooklyn. I'm taking Brooklyn. All right. I'm taking Kyle, Brooklyn. what do you got? I mean, what the back and forth you just described, if it comes down to just shot making, well, newsflash, everybody, uh, Brooklyn's got three of the best shot makers literally ever on their roster. So, I mean, well, in the league too. So it's like one to the other there, but but they have three great ISO defenders too. Yeah, like that's kind of what makes it and you're, so exciting. You're right. I mean, it's it's pretty wild that they have you know Blake just kind of lurking there, and the energy is going to be really high in this series. And, and there is also the thing where it's like we talked about this builder, like the, the Milwaukee thing is that they really just had they had a they found a key sort of thing that they can manipulate with Miami that they didn't realize a year ago. And that was like playing back off of BAM, which like just totally disrupted Miami's offense. Yeah. And you couple that with how well they were playing. And I think that it gave a little, we were just leaning a little hard on how good Milwaukee looks. I think they look fantastic. I'm just saying in terms of how it colors, what we think going forward, I have a hard time betting against uh, Brooklyn's guys because they have multiple guys that have been there. Um, you know, and I, I also not that it's a cliche, but, I lean towards Brooklyn on this one. I've been leaning a lot in this, just kind of in the breeze. But I, I'll go, I'll go Brooklyn in six, just to be wild, and make a pick. I think Brooklyn, they, they got a lot of talent. It's hard to bet okay. against. Mm-hmm. I think it could be kind of a barometer for where the NBA is at right now in terms of just skill versus defense as well. Like if there's, the refs are actually going to be a really big factor in this series. Like if they just let. You know, Giannis slap around KD a little bit. If they let them get physical, if they don't give Harden every single call, if they don't get them in the bonus early, I just think that that's it's a much more winnable series for Milwaukee. But it really just comes down to like what kind of what kind of refing are you going to get, and also like how aggressive are the Nets going to be? Like one of the problems that they ran into in in the Boston series, not a lot of problems, but they just got complacent sometimes with their shots, and then Boston could get it going. Um, so again, I guess just comes down to, comes down to offense, but yeah, it's going to be, I feel like it could really be a referendum on, on defense in general. Like if those guys beat that defensive team and we know that, yeah, they'll play, I think they'll play reasonable defense. I think KD's going to get up for it. You know, Harden, you can put him in certain spots. You try to hide Kyrie, but you know, like I think they'll figure it out a little bit more on defense. But if they actually just win this series scoring, like I just kind of wonder what we're going to think about the idea of like building a defensive minded team anymore. That it's just dead. My biggest fear with picking Milwaukee, and I really do think, I think they can win, and I I really do think they're going to win. But the foul shooting really makes me nervous where Brooklyn never misses free throws ever. I've never seen anything like it in that Celtics series. Like they were in one of the games, they were 26 for 26 at one point. And then Milwaukee has the opposite thing where it's like in the last four minutes of a game, I just feel like Giannis is going to miss every free throw he takes. So my fear is these close games where the it's coming down to Giannis going one for two and then 
Brooklyn just never missing. And then as soon as they're up two, it feels like the game's over because you can't foul. And even Joe Harris is another one. It's just, it's one of the best free throw shooting teams I've ever seen. So I'm tentatively picking Milwaukee. Skilled team of all time. Yeah. Uh, last one, Atlanta, Philly. I'll go first. I have Atlanta. I think they're winning. This Embiid thing is nuts to me. Is a torn meniscus and they're like, he's day to day. Um, I've never in my life seen a torn meniscus that was day to day. It's a three week injury or you get it fixed. And regardless, I just think Atlanta is going to beat them. And I think they have a lot of offense. If Embiid was playing and he was healthy, there is no way in a million years I would take Atlanta. But you're removing not only Embiid's offense, but the rim protection. And now Dwight Howard like becomes really, really important because if he's not protecting the rim, Trey Young's going to do the same thing he did to the Knicks. And I think Trey, I, I just feel like he figured it out over the last two months and that team's going to score points. And I just like the matchup for them. They're plus 154 on FanDuel to win the series. And I, I think that, like, I think they could win in like five or six. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, Embiid is just, it makes such a colossal difference. I mean, if he's there, I think it's pretty obvious I'm, I'm taking Sixers. But I mean, the Sixers do have some, you know, more high quality, a, a higher number of high quality, like individual de- defenders. You know, the Knicks defended well as a team through the regular season. They did. They didn't really yeah. know what to do with Trey broke them in, in that series. But, um, you know, I, I mean, like Ty will be in there, will help. But I mean, he's one guy. Um, I, and he can't shoot. And yes. either, and Simmons doesn't want to shoot. So if you're playing those two guys together, I'm now three on five offensively. But Atlanta isn't isn't like rigid in that sense either. They have that's when why they went and got those guys. You know, you got Herter and you've got Bogdanovich that can go out there and run pick and roll and spot up too. So yeah, they're they're a very flexible team in that sense. And if Embiid's not out there, I mean, yeah, I could see the Hawks winning the series. Um I think I'll, Atlanta's uh, legit good. Their records, I think, for the last forty five or forty six games are like exactly the same. So what do you have, Sarah? I, I don't want to count out Philly just yet. I think that they could find some, you know, small ball, switchy lineup that just doesn't let anybody get into the paint. You know, mm. Thibault, Simmons together and and shooters and just run and defend and hope that you make your shots. Uh, I think they, they're just going to give... I think they'll give more pick and roll problems to Trey than the Knicks were able to. Like the Knicks really didn't change their schemes a lot. And it like was it was pretty clear by like, you know, game game zero that like Reggie Bullock couldn't couldn't guard Trey Young and like that was just never remedied. I just I think Philly just has way more guys to throw at him. I think they can actually bother the fact that he's small in a way that mm-hmm. that uh the Knicks couldn't because they're just like they're a much better scramble team. Uh but I think I think ultimately I'm I'm gonna lean with the Hawks here just because I know what they are now and I just don't know what the Sixers look like without without Embiid and I just I don't know who closes for them. That's like really the biggest thing with with uh, with the Sixers right now is like is is can Tobias kind of step up and be that guy? I don't really want him going toe to toe with Trey Young. I think that's you know he's a little bit overmatched there. So yeah. I think ultimately. Also, yeah, they have a lot of guys. Six. They have a lot of guys to throw at Tobias too. You know, like it, it, Washington did not, and he was still, you know, up and down. I, the Milwaukee, Atlanta parlay is something like four and a half to one, something like that. I might, might be dabbling. Were you that. just um, looking at that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm checking that out. The Knicks weren't really in as good with their lack of creators, which is a huge problem for them going forward. They weren't really in a position to pick on Trey as a defender either. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's another thing, too, that like the the uh, uh, the Sixers have some more options in that sense. So that's going to be a factor, too. I honestly didn't know how that wasn't a bigger factor in that Knicks-Hawks series. But uh, the Knicks were a- asleep at the wheel on that. But the thing is, like, I mean, it was just such a classic Thibodeau sort of situation where the offense didn't make any sense and he just didn't care about it at all. He was just like, as long as you defend, I'll let you do whatever you want on offense. Yeah. Well, and then also just, play Rose for 38 minutes a game. It's like, what do you think's going to happen here? You've been playing him 24 all year. And that, and it was like, wow, Rose looks tired. It's like, yeah, because he's old. He's not <laughs> yeah. meant to be the, the focal point of an offense for 38 minutes a game. All right, we're going to go. Um, Kyle. It's like, what, 2.47 your time right now? It is, yeah. I'm really proud. I mean, you know, people talk about troopers, people gotten through <laughs> injuries, gotten through pain. I, what you gutted through tonight, I'm never going to forget my entire life. Uh, Sirit, first appearance on the BS. This was a pleasure. It was good to see you. Um, this podcast was produced by our guy, Kyle Creighton, who's going to stay up now until like 1.15, 1.30 in the morning. Kyle, you you doing all right with this? Are you mad at me? No, I would never say that out loud. Okay. okay I told Kyle this could be like 45 minutes, so I meant it, it might have been a white lie. Uh, we'll be back on this podcast on Sunday night. Sarah, you're you're on Ringer NBA tomorrow night? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Give check out answer. check out uh, the Mavs Clips reaction. Have a good weekend, everybody. Enjoy the basketball. See you on Sunday. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.